Please be advised, all music tracks used in this production are sole property of Kelson Communications and are original compositions. Thank you. To everyone tuning in, welcome. This is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate. You're listening to the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast, the program that promotes, celebrates, uplifts, and highlights the social work profession. This podcast aims to educate the general public to the vital contributions professional social workers make in every aspect of society every day. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, this is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate. Uh, this is a special Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast. I have with me uh, a very special guest. Uh, who's actually joining in from Israel while I'm here in New York. And I'm so excited to introduce and invite Mrs. Annette Ben Salman to our show today. Uh, there's a really special connection here because I was a guest on her show back in November. Um, and we thought it would be great to uh, have me interview her as well. So just a little bit of background about her. Uh, she's conducted doctoral research of the professional practice process at Derby, Derby University in United Kingdom. She also completed her master's of science in cognitive behavioral psychotherapy, which is why I'm so interested because that's a big track in social work. The cognitive behavioral psychotherapy uh, was done at the Derby University. Um, she co- acquired a BA in psychology from Brock University in Canada. And Miss Annette Ben Salman is a specialist in psychotherapy as well as parental and couples counseling. So that's what really interests me about having you as a guest. So uh, first thing I like to do is have you to tell our listeners uh, a little bit about you because you have more than 16 years of practical experience working with children, adolescents, and parents. Please tell our audience why you chose to focus on that area. Well, first of all, thank you, Silas, for having me here. It's very exciting. Yes. Um, broadcast. Uh, it's first time that I'm doing international broadcast, actually. Uh, and uh, I'm so happy that we met. And actually, one of the benefits of the COVID that we met and we can uh, actually talk to people about the yes. sort of important issues all over the world. And, uh, you know, the communication became uh, very uh, meaningful now and uh, it's different. And uh, we're applying all the, you know, technology in order to help people. And yes. um, to do it uh, internationally as well. Oh, uh, this is me. So first of all, I'll tell, I'm 40 years old. Um, first of all, before I'm a psychotherapist and parental guidance, I'm a mother. I'm a mother of uh, children, uh, an adolescent who's uh, now 15, uh, another almost adolescent who is uh, 11, and uh, a very, very close adolescent girl who, uh, who's uh, going to be nine uh, next week. And uh, I'm a psychotherapist, and I began my practice with uh, mainly working with children and adolescents, being, uh, uh, you know, having my uh, uh, master's in so- uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, working mainly with uh, uh, significant anxiety disorders and OCD uh, with children and adolescents. And while when I started my practice, I actually uh, went to their houses. And I did reaching out because because of the benefits of the reaching out psychotherapy in the natural environment of the family. And once I came into the house, I saw the natural habitat, something that we don't see in clinic. And the, the parents who were there, like continuing uh, living their lives and the family dynamics, uh, which was present there, uh, 
uh, gave me a lot of you know insight into their li- daily life. And more than the kid could have ever tell me in clinic, I could experience what is happening. Mm-hmm. Like I experienced some of the uh, you know um, patterns that the kid would tell me. My mom, my mom is always intervening in mm-hmm. everything. And one thing is to hear it as you know as a a, a very subjective uh, you know feeling and experience. The other things uh, can be added by being with him in therapy session, which uh, in his room, and his mom would come in every two minutes asking if we want a drink or snack Mm. after we're done. So we we could see that, you know, the gaps between the experience or how much the experience affected the kid, like he he would suddenly change his mood and uh, felt differently. And, uh, you know, while working with anxieties mainly and uh, um, uh, great uh, pathologies, different pathologies, like very uh, uh, distressed children and adolescents, I saw that the change would be, the change happened. They uh, uh, did the process of therapy and uh, cognitive behavioral therapy known as a good uh, and, uh, you know, a very short-term therapy for anxieties mainly. And uh, we did uh, achieve change. However, you know, the kid is living with his parents. And I saw that while the parents did not, or, uh, or uh, you know, uh, went through some kind of process uh, that changed their approach and their behavior, then the change that we have, uh, achieved wouldn't last. Moreover, mm-hmm. the, uh, the biggest <coughs> started working with parents uh, and not just the kids is because the, the especially with adolescents there became what i experienced is the gap between their insight the adolescent insight after therapeutic process right so he would gain an insight he would enlarge his view and his perspective of life and what's happening and his relationship and the parents didn't they became uh, even farther away and the, they were driven away and I was thinking that I don't want to be responsible for, you know, being the one who's, be, because help, I was helping that lesson, then the, the parent would be um, actually driven away because the inside is different. And then I, and moreover, you know, I think that the parents are always and should be and remain the most significant figure. I don't want the therapist to become more significant than the parent. So I started asking the parents to do one session. Uh, you know, uh, if I did a, a session with adolescents, then do another session during that same week with the parents. And I, when I began to work with parents, what I saw is that the kids and the adolescents didn't need therapy anymore because the things change by parents. The parents uh, uh, went through change and the uh, insight and the things change for them and the distance uh, was lowered. Uh, today I'm working more, mainly with parents. I uh, I don't see kids unless the, you know there's a really, really a high risk or something that needs a, a my intervention. It's almost never happening because when the parents are or, uh, going through change, all the family benefits from it, like not just that kid who already needs therapy, Right, but all the family changes, the dynamics are changing, and the the welfare of everybody is getting better. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, so while working with the parents, 
what type of uh, interventions did you find useful to get them to see their children and especially adolescents, as you say, you know, we, we know from the studies that adolescents, you know, when they get into the, you know, preteen and teen years, they start to develop their own ideas of life and they're trying to figure things out. And, and in social work, we call it individuation. Um, the parents call it being rebellious. What, what kind of uh, therapeutic interventions did you use to, to bridge that gap, to let the parents un- try to understand the child more? Yeah, well, I think that uh, uh, although you said it's uh, uh, it's that during adolescence the kid is getting his own ideas and or his own views, I think it happens from almost day one. The child is an individual when he's a small and a little kid as well. Like he's different, he's different than the parents, and the parents are uh, having a lot of difficulties from seeing the child as different from them behaving differently, like different things. It can start from, you know, food when he was uh, his three and end with, you know, music and political ideas when he was 15, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, we're going, but the child is always an individual. Mm-hmm. So my intervention, like the whole process is focused on getting parents to get an insight. So the work is mainly on developing their own parental intelligence to get to know themselves and how they affect the family. Because most of the parents I meet, they come with, uh, they come to me and they say, oh, we react. We are reacting to our children. When actually, they are not reacting. They're activating what's happening and the child is the one who's reacting because the, uh, you know, the parent is the grown-up and he's the one who's responsible for the well-being and all the things in his family life, I, uh, the, uh, the parents are uh, going through a process in which they become from experience themselves as reactive to experience themselves as responsible and activating, but activating differently. So if we say, uh, let's say that uh, the child is uh, annoying me or the child that won't get dressed in the morning, you know, and he's doing it on purpose, He's, he wants me to be late to work uh, at, the, at the beginning of the process. At the end of the process, they become, they see the child as, you know, just being a child, not against the parents. And mm-hmm. if I wake him up being stressed, he will react to that and not, I'm getting stressed by reacting to him. Mm-hmm. And that's a different perspective. And the parents are gaining by that, parents are, are gaining at their, you know, control back because they feel that they're losing control. They they don't know what to do, you know, and the child is, they, they experience as the child is managing all that's happening and they just react or that can be happening because the child needs to be managed in some way or and remain individual. So he has to have the borders, you know, and the, uh, the limits in which they, he can develop. He needs that. So the, 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 he needs his parents to be responsible for him and, you know, sometimes to say no and keep it as no and not to uh, say no. And then the, suddenly the no become maybe and in two other uh, minutes for, forward, it becomes yes. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so we call that parenting one-on-one. If you say no, it's got to be no. Uh, cause then you, you teach, you teach the, you teach the child 
uh, that there are restrictions and boundaries and that there's, you know, you don't get everything. I think one of the most important lessons to teach a child is that in life, you, you never get everything you want all the time. So way more than that, it teaches to, you know, to trust the parent, because if the parent says no, and he kept it that way, he can trust him. Then when he say yes, he'll keep it that way. Mm-hmm. So he can be a trustful parent, right? And give a security and feel of confidence to the child is way more than just, you know, a, a teaching him that there's, there are restrictions. The restrictions are important, but the child needs to know, first of all, that he has something, someone to count on. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, he'll be anxious and alone. Very good. Very good. Now, uh, during your undergraduate studies, I, I, I saw some interesting stuff. You worked as a therapist in the welfare ministry and served as a group therapist in a mental health hospital in Ottawa, Canada. Tell us a little bit about what you learned from those two experiences. Well, I, I was uh, doing my, uh, actually, like my uh, volunteering, and it was my first therapeutic uh, uh, volunteering uh, when I was uh, doing my BA uh, in Canada. Uh, and I was actually leading, co-leading a group of uh, addicts who uh, who were uh, uh, trying to get, uh, you know, their um, addiction solved. And it was a great experience, and I learned a lot about the, you know, the uh, underlying, uh, you know, dynamics that uh, get them into addiction, and the difficulties to go out of it, and the needs, and the, you know, the group as a very, very safe environment to uh, get the, you know, the uh, the process going and helping the, uh, and I, I, I think I learned the uh, the benefit of the group as healing mm-hmm. uh, mechanism. Uh, more more than you know you can ever read in any book uh, so that was my first experience with uh, patients and with people in a, a great uh, difficulty because they were like uh, uh, addicts of drugs and uh, you know alcohol uh, and they they all had kids and they were talking about you know the what did uh, that one of the main reasons they were there is because their kids are suffering mm-hmm. and finally made them, you know, uh, want to uh, go to rehab. Also, another experience that I found very interesting is that you worked in a uh, in the anxiety unit of a, a Barbanel mental hospital in Israel. Yeah, uh, to, to talk about that a little bit. Uh, during my master's in the CDT, we, uh, we went through uh, the practical work, the practical, uh, you know, the practicum, um, work we need, uh, had to do during the master's. Uh, and then I met anxiety uh, from all over the place, you know. So, <laughs> and it was an anxiety unit in a mental health hospital, meaning that the people that were there, they were after hospitalizations and a lot of, you know, admissions. And they, they suffered from like very, very, very deep anxieties and anxiety uh, disorders and panic disorders. Uh, and w- what we did there is we, you know, applied CBT in order to help them with their anxieties, both in group and in individual uh, setting. I mainly did the, the individual therapies. And it was my first encounter with real patients. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what gave me, uh, you know, the expertise in, uh, you know, in anxieties and OCD. Oh, okay. And um, excuse me? Which we have a lot here. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's universal all, all over in many places, many places. Well, I, can, I, I know I know for sure that it's very high 
here in the United States. Um, that affects a lot of uh, adolescents, you know, are diagnosed with anxiety and depression, but anxiety is, 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 is rampant. Now, you had some teaching experience too. You were a lecturer in psychology at Israel Extension of Derby University. You did that for more than 10 years. Uh, what was that experience like and what specific areas did you focus on when you were teaching? Well, I, I actually in, encountered teaching and being a lecturer by accident completely. Because <laughs> I never stood in front of an audience or people or I never wanted to be a teacher. That was never my intention or a, a dream, you know, like uh, other people. I came when I finished my MSc and I did my goodbyes with my professors. One thing I asked is I was really, really interested in research back then. And I came to the, you know, the head of the, the faculty in the Derby Extension and I asked him if there is a, you know, a research unit that I can work at after graduating. And he said, well, we don't have research going on here like as a faculty. But you know what? The, the lecturer of research methods is just got, got her a sick leave on sick leave. Can you teach research methods? And I said, okay. <laughs> and I came into the classroom teaching research methods at that point, first time standing in front of a, a, a students, and I loved it. And I never knew that I would love it. I, I just said, yes, because, you know, I'm, I, I'm good at uh, research methods back then. And I'm interested in research. And, you know, it's a chance. So why not? And somebody needed help. So why not? And I came uh, to the classroom. And since then, I'm teaching half of my, you know, practice time. So I'm being a therapist, but I always teach. So I like teaching. And uh, I teach uh, at that point because I was, you know, I came by uh, accident, like I said, I was then replacing in almost every courses in the BA. So I taught uh, psychopathology and developmental psychology and social psychology. And almost all the courses uh, during the years I was there, uh, I taught all the courses in the BA of psychology, all the uh, courses besides statistics and uh, uh, the courses are not dealing with therapy. Oh, but, thank you. Oh. Now, in 2016, um, Together with Mr. I believe his name is Ofer Erez. Erez. Yes. Okay. Yeah, you part you you both teamed up and established a unique and innovative training initiative. Tell our uh, audience a little bit about that. Well, uh, we're uh, when I came uh, to the uh, offer and I met uh, while we both uh, started our uh, MSc in uh, cognitive behavioral psychotherapy. That's how we met. We were like class classmates. And uh, we uh, did a lot of homework together and all the assignments, and we were uh, connected by professional, and we had a lot of conversations. And Offer back then was telling me about his uh, mentoring with adolescents, with the high-risk adolescents uh, practice. Like he was practicing uh, mentoring before he came to the CBT. And when he was talking about mentoring, I said, well, that's not different than what we learned. Like you're already a therapist. And the teacher said the same. And then I asked him, well, how do you do it? How do you promote those processes? Adolescents are uh, considered back then and now uh, not less as a very difficult population to work with for therapists. 
because they're not uh, uh, staying in therapy uh, enough time to uh, give it a chance. And there's a, a lot of problems to engage them in the therapeutic processes. There are a lot of reasons for it, but we know that as professionals, it's not easy to be a psychotherapist for an adolescent because first of all, they don't want therapy. Okay, so it's uh, mainly being sent by their parents, right? And the other reasons. And I asked Offer, and he was very successful. Like you, he was telling me about his case studies, and it was astonishing in my view, knowing other professionals are stuck. And I asked him, well, how do you do it? And then he answered, well, I just do it. And I said, well, that's not enough for me. Please tell me more. And that started our doctoral research. What the conversation, the dialogue that actually later became our doctoral research. And he was transferring this practical tacit knowledge to one professional to another. So he was my teacher. And for well, uh, around 13 years, we were dialoguing and I was learning. While he was talking, it was the first time for him to extract his knowledge because before that, he was just doing it, right? <laughs> just acting. And I say, well, what do you mean? How do you get? How do you decide what to do? How do you decide when to do? And mm. like, how does it work? And he, then he was uh, actually felt that he needs to uh, look inside of himself and try to first time to understand by speaking about it what the hell is happening there. <laughs> and, and that dialogue became my uh, textbook. And while he was talking, because he was specializing with kids and adolescents at risk with a very, uh, very, very difficult population, like, uh, you know, people with uh, 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 difficult backgrounds, not just difficult uh, distress and uh, socioeconomic backgrounds and people, that, uh, kids that had no one there for them. And uh, while I was uh, listening to him and asking a lot of questions and not giving him a space, you know, to, to, be, to run away from, uh, I became... became uh, to understand what I'm looking at. And that's what led me to work with parents. Like mm -hmm. I was uh, uh, studying from him, but the way I was studying is by reflecting on what he's doing and asking questions like a supervision, but the other way around, because usually the younger one is supervised on his cases. I was here the supervising the professional, the master on his and I was trying to perceive the knowledge on, from who I am and what I want to do and how I look at things. And it actually became a different approach so, uh, uh, of working with parents. Very and good. <laughs> and that became actually the, base, the baseline for our approach, how to transform therapeutic practical knowledge to other people. That's what we do in our uh, center now. Okay, and that that center that you refer to, uh, it's it's called, I believe you pronounce it Rotem, and that's Reaching Out Therapeutic Mo Method. So that's the act that acronym. That's what that stands for. And you basically, as you just stated, you and he established that so that you could teach, other. teach other people the methods that you found to be very successful. That we we established that in order to teach other professionals how to extract their knowledge by listening to other professionals so we actually established that not just to say that works and that doesn't and uh, we established that and our approach is talking about well take an inspiration while listening to our cases but develop your own as it happened with me now 
one question I, I was really interested in, in posing during this uh, conversation is how have social workers in Israel responded to your trainings and your offerings? While social workers in Israel are uh, finding themselves in a very, very complex position because social workers here are actually the only ones besides clinical psychologists who needs to go through a, a, their master's degree in clinical psychology and then their practical work. And just then they allow to see patients. Social workers can start seeing patients after their undergrad. So they actually are allowed by law to do therapy, but no one teaches them to be therapists. They, mm-hmm. they don't keep the knowledge and the practical knowledge, but they are required to be therapeutic. Uh, so when uh, we uh, came out with the uh, program, a lot of social workers, uh, both undergraduate and graduate uh, social workers, actually came and uh, to us. And uh, we have in every group, we have at least one or two social workers. And it was uh, at first it was surprising because, you know, we expect them to get their therapeutic, you know, skills in during their BA and MA studies but they didn't and they said okay well, so we have all the social work because it mainly they mainly teach them to do you know I'll call it a paperwork but mm-hmm. not therapeutic work and I, I'm not uh, saying paperwork is not important it's crucial because they mm-hmm. are connecting with all the you know uh, the um, other institutes you know the, uh, and getting help for people but if they want to do a therapeutic work, they don't have the skills. So they actually come after after they finish in their MA or BA and they get their practical knowledge and practical skills uh, with us. So they reacted really good because they need it because they don't have, you know, the skills. They don't they feel that they don't have enough skills taught in the universities. Mm-hmm. So so they gain more clinical knowledge when they um, interact with your program. And, and I see that you um, train a wide variety of uh, behavioral specialists. What are some of the areas besides social work that you train in? I know I noticed from reading it's multidisciplinary and it's a worldview. And you say that you uh, derive it from psychotherapy, education, healthcare, and social work. So tell our viewers and our audience how all of this works together. Well, I think that, the, you know, the every every individual has more than just, you know, his social environment and uh, distress and realms. He has his health issues. He has his psychological issues. He has his relationship and he has his educational uh, struggles uh, in every educational system he finds himself in. The person is multi-layered. And what we want is for the therapist or the, the person who uh, finishes the, with our program is to look at the person as a whole and, you know, know how to interact with health workers, with doctors. We have a gynecologist who's graduated with our program uh, who actually implement the therapeutic, uh, you know, view while he, while she's working with her patients, communicating with her patients, thinking about her patients in more than just gynecology, right? While talking to that lady or her husband, right? And we want them uh, to know, to get the knowledge from the doctor and from the educational uh, experience worker and social worker, you know, and not just the psychologist who saw only, you know, the psyche vision. 
So we want the, the uh, uh, our people to get a, a really wild and multi-layered worldview. So it all works together for one simple reason. They all deal with the person, with mm -hmm. an individual, and how he is affected by all his, you know, area, all those areas of health, his health, the health of his children, you know, or the social problems and how those affect. And sometimes we don't realize how all of these are affecting each other. We, we look at it a holistic view, which is basically what you explain where you take into consideration all the different areas. Now, one thing that's, that's really um, taken hold uh, here in the United States, uh, I would say in the last uh, eight to 10 years is in the biopsychosocial, you know, when we look at all those areas that you mentioned, now they also are taken into consideration what a, a client or a patient's uh, specific um, spiritual understandings and leanings are. And they work that into the biopsychosocial. So how, how does that um, fit into the therapeutic models um, that are used there in Israel? Well, I think that it's crucial because, uh, you know, for me, the spiritual uh, inclinement, like if the person is, uh, you know, religious mm -hmm. Jew or religious Arab or a Christian, Okay, and thank God we have all of those here, and mm -hmm. uh, we have the chance to, you know, uh, work with the different, uh, you know, cultural and spiritual backgrounds. Uh, I think that every family has his own spiritual worldview, even if it's not actually, you know, uh, constructed as religious or, or not religious, right? Mm -hmm. He has his view, the family, the parents has their own worldview and his own, their own culture. You know, every family for me is a culture. And we have to, and when we train our uh, therapists, uh, you know, parental counselors, the uh, unjudgmental approach is basic for any professional. So if I sit in front of a religious person as a non-religious person, I have to be non-judgmental and not and taking their problems, you know, related to their a, a religious incl inclination and work how those two work together and not t telling that it's because they're religious something is happening like i have to integrate their worldview their culture uh, their spirituality or uh, you know the way they feel uh, or the the, the way they re uh, uh, you know relate to spirituality in a, a different ways every time uh, in the beginning you know with every family is different Mm -hmm. So it's something that it's for me it's basic because it, it touches the uh, you know the un unjudgmental approach we all have to you know acquire and be conscious of in every you know therapeutic hour with any person. Okay. Now uh, the 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 one thing that that I know you and I talked about is that um, you and your partner you 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 established a uh, a training course that that people can um take or sign up for and it and it's it's available to anybody on any part of the globe so um as we get ready to wrap up give our listeners a little bit of insight into this specific training uh, program that you and your partner established um what's available and how can they access it and connect to find if they're interested to take the course Okay, so uh, the the program is uh, actually a, a program of parental counselor. It's a program that is uh, uh, really for 
professionals in mental health or uh, any educational workers or anyone who's working with children or families in any ways to gain their insight and skills to work with parents. Like if I'm a school counselor, how I work with parents. If I'm, uh, a, you know, a, even if I'm managing some uh, in, uh, institute for, uh, you know, uh, how do you call it, for a single parents or for a adoptions, right? How do I look at parents? How do I work with parents in order to help them to progress and to, uh, you know, in their uh, things that are happening with their family, how to approach their families, all the difficulties or crises they have with families. So the program is intended to uh, actually give professionals who are already working the, uh, you know, the perspective of the parents and how to work with them. So they don't have to change their profession. They can like add to their professional, uh, of course, resume. But the, even if they stay a social worker, they know that how they look at parents now, even if they do the process that they already been doing, right? So they don't oblige to, you know, change their perspective, but to add on it, the uh, worldview of the parents, like how to do a change process, therapeutic change process from the angle of the parents without meeting the kids. And this is uh, the first time we're actually going out with the program. We have this program in Israel for the last, I'm teaching it for like 10 years where we have brought them for six years. So it's been uh, taught and we have more than uh, 200 graduates who are working in practice with parents uh, that uh, we trained and uh, we're all connected all the time with them. And uh, they're very happy with their work. So it's the first time because of the COVID, we uh, understood the need to uh, provide and the availability uh, to provide hybrid learning. So we actually have all the equipment for hybrid uh, learning so people can sit here in classroom and be interactive with people all over the world uh, during the course. The course is, a, you know, it's an online course, but it's live course. Like mm. we teach people by uh, Zoom and all the other technology. Uh, and it's available now uh, for uh, applications. We're now... Uh, are starting to and uh, people are very very interested in uh, like the lot. I, I'm surprised how many people are reached to us. We just uh, posted on Academia Edu, and people are really really in need. So it's actually uh, 30 weeks. It's uh, 180 hours, and we get a certificate that allows you to work with parents afterwards. So you gain both the theoretical and the practical knowledge. And it also has specialization with the special needs families. Like uh, You can both work with families in crisis or families who has a, a, a kid with special needs or disabilities uh, that is, you know, more complex. So you can also have a specialty in that. Mm, okay. And, and how can... Um... Uh, our audience, anybody that might be interested in getting more information, how can they contact you or the, so, inst- or the Institute? Contact us uh, at uh, info at uh, rotenacademiccenter.com uh, uh, and uh, I can also get a link and we, we're on LinkedIn and we're on Facebook and we're all over the place they can find us if you, they, they click my name they can find us okay all right okay and then as we get ready to wrap up uh, share with our listeners uh, a success story that you remember where your therapeutic modality was put into place and it was very successful and you had a great outcome um, leave our listeners with a little success story please yeah. 
I'm always happy to share success stories. I think uh, that every family I uh, encounter uh, that feels that they've been, uh, you know, been through change is a success for me. Like what I'm looking at success as a family that feels that things have changed. Mm-hmm. And it's a short-term, uh, you know, therapy. It's not like years, but things are changing. I can give a little example. Mm-hmm. Uh, mother of an adolescent girl who came to me and said that the girl is not communicating at all. And if there is a communication, they, she just, the girl sh- just shouts at her mother and he, uh, she almost curses her mother. And the mother was hopeless and said, well, I need help. Uh, and what is happening? Should I bring the girl into therapy? Something is wrong with her. Like she's shouting out. She's not uh, complying with anything. I don't have any communication and I'm losing her. And she came and we uh, very, very fast saw that her approach to that girl is in no way can bring her back because she's all she does. And from the best intentions, like all the parents are doing the best they can with the, their best intention. That's my basic uh, you know, belief that parents are doing what they can and what they think is good for their children, but sometimes they don't see it's not getting the result, right? And they don't understand why. And that mother was approaching her child, uh, her child, her teenage girl, with uh, an approach as she was five. And of course, she would shut her down, right? And she would not let her, her space for development, her, uh, you said, individuation process at, for, uh, at the beginning of our talk, right? Mm-hmm. So she not let her to become an individual she wanted be her to be like her mm-hmm. and from the best intention because she thought it would give her the best you know chances to succeed in life and school and social and then when we talked and we looked at that girl from you know uh, a different perspective uh, seeing that she's already successful at school and social socially like she's a really really successful teenage and her mother is not seeing her as such because she's different from her. Mm. And, uh, through the process, the mother could relax knowing that she's already successful, even if she's not like her. She's mm. successful in her own way. And, uh, you know, three or four weeks after we started, the mother uh, called me in the middle of the week between sessions saying, you won't believe like I just, just what I told her, like if I say some behavioral steps, you know, what I told her is that stop coming into her room without being asked. Just stop intervening. Just stop. Like t- wait till she comes out and then talk to her or just knock on her door, you know, basic stuff. And she did that. And then she called me. You won't believe it. The girl came to me and the first time she hugged me, she'd never hugged me for like the past two years. Right. So for me, that's a success. The, and it was just a small, you know, uh, different angle for that mother to take the time, the, the hour, sit with a, a, a person who understands that, you know, it's hard to be separated from that individual who was just, a, you know, a little small, your child in your hands and the years are running really fast. It's hard for us to be separated. But once we do, allow that separation individuation process, we actually gain the child back to us in a good mm. relationship. 
All right. Well, thank you so much for that. So uh, it's been a great pleasure having you here on the uh, Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast. I want to thank you so much for joining us and uh, educating and enlightening our audience all over the world. And uh, we look forward to continuing having this dialogue. And again, everyone, this is uh, the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast with me, Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate. Our special guest for today has been Mrs. Annette Ben-Salman. Um, and she's one of the originators and the founders of the Rotem Center for Practical Professional Training. And again, Rotem is reaching out, um, therapeutic model, and she's available uh, all over the internet on Facebook, LinkedIn. And give the listeners one more time the email contact where they could reach you before we wrap up. Thank you so much. And it's info at uh, uh, Rotem uh, slash academic cent, uh, dot center. And uh, you can also reach me by email at anadbensalmon at gmail.com. And I'll leave uh, the link uh, further in our podcast. And, uh, you know, when it, once it's out, I'll, I'll also uh, connect the link to us. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. Uh, 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 giving me that space and time. <laughs> yes. And to all our audience, especially here in the state, if you find you're having difficulties contacting Miss Ben Salman, uh, please reach out to me and I may I can make sure that I facilitate the connection for you. So once again, wrapping it up for us here on the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast. And thank you to my guest, Miss Annette Ben Salman. Have a good day. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. This is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate and host of the show. You've been listening to the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast. This and all other programs are available on the Apple iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Anchor podcast platforms. Go to any search engine and type in Kelson on the Air in the search window to hear this show in its entirety. Thank you for tuning in. This has been a Kelson Communications production.